If you like what you hear, come and visit me at youtube.com slash tiptoe the tank and see this content in all its glory. The trinity of realities were not always so. They once were one. A sundering in Armageddon rendered reality into three, Paradiso, Inferno, and Chaos. What Great Calamity brought this about is not known. Angels resided within Paradiso, the demonic within Inferno, and humanity resided within chaos. A god called Aesir took rule over the chaos and brought desperately needed order to our realm. It was through Aesir's eyes that the world itself was formed and for the first eternity he watched from his holy mountain and through the realities that Aesir perceived, perceptions far beyond the comprehensions of mankind, our world was created. It was Aesir's eyes that built the world. Aesir's mighty ability to create was matched only by his will to unmake anything. But eventually, he came to pity mankind. He pitied their naivety, their lack of free will. So Aesir bestowed a mighty gift upon the childlike race, his right eye of light and his left eye of darkness. Together, they were known as the eyes of the world, and through this powerful gift, humanity achieved free will and independent thought. Mankind could now choose its own destiny and realize its own potential. And we know what eventually became of the right and the left eye. The right eye was put into the protective care of the Lumen Sages. The left eye went to the Umbra Witches. Balance would be maintained. It had to be maintained. Not only between the Sages and the Witches, but between all the trinity of realities. Paradiso, Inferno, and Chaos did not require harmony, but equilibrium was necessary. But what of Aesir? The god of our chaos, who gave us that mighty gift, what became of him after he gave us the eyes of the world? Well, Aesir's soul became two as well, light and dark, Loki and Lochter, they were called, two unique beings. Loki possessed the sovereign power, the ability to freely control the eyes of the world. He was the goodness of Aesir, part of his desire to see mankind flourish. Lochter held within himself that which made him a prophet, control over the remembrance of time. Lopter held dominion over the events of time, being able to bear witness to all through the power of remembrance. Lopter need not be present to watch reality take place. While Loki also possessed some abilities to interact with the remembrance of time, it was Lopter who truly walked within that marvelous power. And while Loki was the goodness of Aesir, Lopter was the evil. When humanity was young, there was not much evil within the blossoming race that would empower Lopter. No sins that could give that aspect of Aesir form. Balance was maintained between the trinity of realities. Loki and Lopter were shelves of dormant power. The Lumen Sages and Umbra Witches carried on for lifetimes after the next with their parlays and negotiations, and mankind moved ever onward. With time, however, sin and evil did seep into the hearts of man and it fed Lopter. The two aspects of Aesir were still in childlike states, but Lopter began to gain the upper hand and upset the balance of the chaos reality. As malevolence grew within humanity with the passage of time, the ever-strengthening Lopter devised a plan to upset the balance of power between the Lumen Sages and the Umbra Witches. The Lumen Sages were made to believe that the Witches were conspiring to upset the balance of power, to incite a rebellion. 
and the two clans fell into conflict. This culminated into the witch hunts occurring some 500 years ago, stories that we've already bore witness to, but perhaps we can reflect upon them in this new tale with a new perspective. To escape his evil counterpart, Loki threw himself into the future, losing his memory in the process, but this denied Lopter Loki's ability to control the eyes of the world. He would have to wait 500 years to reach the time that Loki fled to. 500 years for Lopter to scheme and plot to grow into something even more perilous. But let us resume where we left off not so long ago, a short time after the destruction of Jubileus. Baldur, the villainous wretch of a Lumen Sage that took up arms against his own kin and the Umbra Witches, who conspired with Paradiso to bring about the resurrection of Jubileus. He has fallen, but something here is not quite right, not what you would think. He struggles against a force not quite visible, vowing to deliver it death and gently thanks his daughter for fulfilling a promise. Perhaps the context for this will be revealed with time, but in this present moment, Baldur fades from this life, taking an unknown entity within himself, and the right eye of the world is truly gone. And with this loss comes the assured upset of the balances that maintain our chaotic world and the trinity of realities itself. For you see, the left eye of darkness is still thriving. Some months after the death of the final Lumen Sage, the Umbra Witch Bayonetta is carrying about the holiday season as though not in the world could possibly be amiss, though the woman is terribly difficult to read, is she not? Life goes on, but now Bayonetta's Umbra sister walks at her side, Jean, who also seems to be flourishing in this new life. But the peace of the holiday season is cause for concern. The two women have spent their lives in conflict and intrigue, experiencing a time of silence from the heavens. Well, one might call that a nice vacation, but John rather feels that it's cause for concern. Paradiso doesn't just go quiet, nor does Inferno, which is precisely what's happened. So just what is taking place that they're not aware of? In the city, a flyover from the military's aerial acrobatics unit called the Platinum Stars is set to take place to entertain and dazzle tourists traveling through the area. Not the type of situation where a pilot would lose control of their jet and start flying low, not through a population center, certainly, but that's precisely what happens to the naked eye. But Bayonetta can see into Purgatorio, where clear as day, she can see the Angels of Paradiso steering the jet straight into her path, as though to answer Jean's pondering. The lower ranks of the Laguna are here to greet the Umber Witch. Holiday peacetime over? Bloody conflict in the sky? Go! Even the Infinite One, Rodan, has left his haven, the Gates of Hell, to inquire as to the situation brewing and offer Bayonetta assistance in the form of powerful weaponry. Remember kids, Santa is real and to say otherwise is sacrilege. The fight that ensues across the skies doesn't stay concealed within Purgatorio as if the punted jet didn't already alert the populace as to something taking place. Entire buildings are taken out by the higher-tiered Laguna, its waves of combatants descending upon the Umber Witch. Jet parts explode in the air and collide with infrastructure, bridges and train tracks are completely torn apart, and all this during an extremely busy time within the city. It is a brazen and unrestrained attack that Jean joins the fight against as well which crescendos into Bayonetta summoning an aid of her own in the form of Gamora. But at the conclusion of the feud with Paradiso, something most unexpected occurs. The demon summoned Gamora turns on Bayonetta. 
An umber witch of her age and power doesn't just lose control of one of her pets, but the demon is savage in its attack against her. In the flurry of the attack, the demon knocks the soul right out of Jean. The umber witches have a bargain with the forces of Inferno upon their death, their souls will reside there for eternity, and this is close enough. Jean's soul is immediately dragged into the pits of hell. Bayonetta puts down the rebelling and rampaging Gamora. Her own powers suffice even in combat against such a powerful demon, and her next demonic summon does not go against her demands, but, well, what of Jean? Back in the relative safety of the gates of hell where Jean's body now peacefully rests, Rodan and Bayonetta discuss what's taken place and how this could have happened. Rodan knows too that an imbalance has begun and that something is soon to take place. But Jean is not completely dead, at least not yet. Rodan can preserve her body for some time, but undoing what has been visited upon them would require retrieving Jean's soul itself from where it now resides, Inferno. And there is a limit on how long Rodan can keep Jean's body intact. And while he doesn't think that Bayonetta stands a chance in hell, he gives her an item called the Heart of an Umber Witch. To reunite Jean's soul with her body, Bayonetta will need to deliver this to her in Inferno. The actual, literal gates of hell are hard to find. Their informant, the loud-mouthed man Enzo, knows of rumors surrounding a sacred mountain called Fimbleventer. And though unwilling, he will aid the Umber Witch and travel to this mysterious and cryptic place. Another tale is being played out during the new plight of the Umber Witches. The now adult form of Lothar has begun to tamper with important beings in the past. Or more specifically, one particular Lumen Sage, Baldur, 500 years ago. The right eye of the world when it was still in existence. At the height of the witch hunts 500 years ago, Baldur watched as the child form of Lothar, clad in blue, walked away from his mortally wounded beloved Rosa, the mother of Cereza. They hadn't been together in over 20 years, but they still loved each other dearly. Baldur held Rosa in his arms as her life faded. And then the adult form of Lothar used the remembrance of time to pull the right eye of the world 500 years into the future. Baldur did not recognize the adult form of Lothar, how could he? 500 years had truly changed Lothar's appearance. Now walking within the present, a timeline that he does not belong in, Baldur's rage is manipulated by Lothar who wishes for his other half, the still childlike Loki, to be hunted down so that Lopter could claim his sovereign power for himself, Loki's ability to control the eyes of the world. Then, Lopter would reign as the new Aesir, the god over this reality. And Baldur is all too happy to oblige, if that means hunting down whoever killed Rosa, not knowing that the murderer was right in front of him. Baldur's misguided hunt for Loki begins, and Bayonetta, has arrived near Fimbleventer, in the city of Noatu, near the foot of the massive mountain. Those who dared tread on the mountain never return. Planes that fly too close are mysteriously destroyed, as though Fimbleventer itself doesn't want intruders. The city is truly lovely and abounds in history, but ever in the distance is that forlorn and forbidden mountain. It's precisely where Bayonetta means to go. Ten minutes of peace was too much to ask for, though there's no time to sightsee as the Angels of Paradiso are in the city. They do present themselves as obstacles to her progress, but interestingly, the witch is not their only concern, their only target. In fact, 
she just might be the lesser of their objectives. How interesting. What could draw the ire and attention of the Laguna of Paradiso more so than the Umbra Witch herself? He may not look like much, a kid, really. But walking unseeable to human eyes within Purgatorio is the good half, an aspect of Aesir, the one called Loki. The young fellow has only recently arrived in this time, freshly fled from Lopter during the witch hunts some 500 years ago. He has no memory of his own past, no clue as to what he's doing in the city of Noatun, but he's being drawn to the mountain Fimbleventer by forces that he does not quite recognize or understand. He's being drawn by his other half, Lopter, who's been waiting 500 years for this. Loki is an enemy of Baldur, therefore a foe to Paradiso, and the hierarchy of Laguna will ignore Bayonetta if it means reaching Loki. Though Loki does not remember himself, the childlike being is still capable of protecting himself against angelic forces. Furthermore, he has no fear of Bayonetta, perhaps out of hubris or a lack of understanding or an attempt to conceal his own frightening amnesia, but he's quite coy with the witch. Word games are a specialty with Bayonetta though, she gets out of him that he's heading towards the mountain, that he is not here with his mommy, and that his ability to protect himself against Paradiso, well, it's actually a bit limited. If this Loki character means to reach the mountain, he'll either need help or a lot of luck in hiding. He promptly does the latter once greater angelic forces enter the field. A first sphere cherubim named Valiance enters the field, and in true loudmouth angel fashion starts to spill vague intentions involving the kid, and how fortunate it is that Bayonetta happens to be there. Something something the eyes of the world together. But I can't help but wonder what else he would have spoiled if Bayonetta hadn't cut him off. Well, I'm sure we'll find out soon enough. After dispatching the Loudmouth and several other forces of Paradiso, Bayonetta finds the pinned Loki and finally gets some common sense into his brain. She needs a guide to the mountain. He seems to be compelled to go there. She can protect him. It's a mutually beneficial arrangement, and he doesn't stand a chance without her. So why not work together for a while? Well, hard to argue with a walking arsenal of sass, isn't it? Sovereign one, you must flee no more. Accompany me. The prophetic one is waiting. The repeat call, Sovereign One, and the command, the Prophetic One awaits. But what could this mean to an amnesiac and the witch? Well, in these moments, all it really means is a fight. And fights there are across the city of Noatun. Bayonetta eventually has enough of this Sovereign One business and asks Loki outright about it, then forbids him from jumping ship when he doesn't have an answer and doesn't want to be held accountable for what is taking place. But she's not about to let him squirrel his way out of this mystery or into harm's way. The man Baldur and Lopter see the duo from atop Vimbleventer, and now the Umber Witch is in the warpath of the out-of-place Lumen Sage. But there is still another human whose presence must apparently be made known in the most ridiculous and presumptuous of ways. Oh look, it's Luca Redgrave, journalist and apparent informant extraordinaire, right on time to make an ass out of himself. Now equipped with some fancy new glasses that allow him to see into Purgatorio. He's done his research before arriving in the city, learning of the existence of the Overseer, the god of the human realm, to whom the eyes of the world truly belong. Or perhaps, once upon a time, they belonged to. Noatune itself holds gateways into the trinities of reality, doors to Paradiso, Inferno, and back to the human world of chaos. Luca has also somehow heard of what happened to Jean, and while he's not here to console or guide, 
He will act as an aide in locating information relevant to what she seeks, which right now are the gates of hell, the way into Inferno where the soul of Jean can be retrieved before her body dies. Aspects of Loki's power bubble to the surface as they journey through the city, powers related to the remembrance of time. But his counterpart, Lopter, also dances with this ability. The younger self of Lopter fades into the present timeline with Loki, like a screen opened into the past. And Loki has enough sense or instinct to know that this other half of Aesir is dangerous and evil, a presence worthy of taking arms against, though Loki is far from powerful enough to even pose a faint threat to Lopter. But Loki can shape and halt the environment around him, doing things that Bayonetta has never seen done by either a witch or a sage. He cannot fully explain what he's doing or how he's doing it. Though he's the best guide Bayonetta could ask for, something is instinctually leading him forward. And he knows that on Thimbleventer, the witch will have her choice of going up or going down. She just has to ensure that he gets there, which is becoming more and more difficult with each step they take closer to that mountain. The forces of Paradiso will impact their travel as much as possible, even being so bold as to try and incapacitate and steal away the boy Loki, time and time again resulting in a brawl that the angels never stand a chance in. Even if it means following their kind into the heavens before the gates of Paradiso, even if it means pulling him from the jaws of a seraphim, she will not forfeit the boy. The dying seraphim does, in true angelic fashion, insist upon telling Bayonetta of the vague goals of Paradiso, getting the boy. A quick trip to actual hell will shut him up, however. Meanwhile, the boy crashes back on Earth, straight into one Mr. Luca Redgrave. And at this point, I am pretty convinced that Luca is a Lumen Sage in disguise as an imbecile, because he has a health pool the size of the Grand Canyon. But Though the two decide not to stick together, they now know each other's faces, and Luca is aware that this weird kid has a desire to get to that mountain. Closing in, too, is the Lumen Sage Balder, out of time and out of place, but pursuing this boy. He instead finds Bayonetta, who's now also trying to find Loki, but doesn't raise a hand against the Umber Witch, instead choosing to put his attentions on the boy. Noatun will suffer a disaster this night, as the many forces of Paradiso fall upon the city looking for Loki. When Bayonetta finally finds the boy, he's traveling as though in a daze, intent on reaching the mountain but questioning to himself why, why he is so compelled to do so. The sage is finally here though, Balder, enraged and motivated, real bad combo for Loki. He is wily and nimble, but the only one that could really stand a chance against this man, at least the only one in the vicinity, is his own kin, Cereza. Balder had no involvement in Bayonetta's life when she was little, some 500 years prior during the war between the sages and the witches. When Rosa and Balder's relationship was discovered, he was outcast and Rosa was imprisoned within the Crescent Valley where the witches resided. So it's difficult to say whether he recognized her upon their meeting, it's improbable that he did. And Bayonetta thought the Lumen Sages extinct, with the fall of the older Balder some months ago being their finale. But she knows a sage when she sees one, and this churn of events is most perplexing, is it not? Well, lucky for us, we know what's up between these two, and we can just sit back and watch them suffer through it. There is a spectacle of dazzling combat to behold as Sage and Witch once again take up arms against one another. Summons of their affinity in tow, angels versus demon, the whole affair doesn't end with a clear winner though. In fact, it would seem that a double knockout is what ends the mayhem. This introduction is over, but it will not be the last time that these two take up arms against one another.
Though there have been complications, their mission remains the same, get to the mountain. Time is slipping away for both Loki and Jean. The cathedral they found homes the bridge to Paradiso and the path to the gates of Inferno for those capable of accessing them. Within the cathedral, the two make peace with their unknowns and confusion, coming to terms with one another on how little they actually know of what's taking place, but gaining deeper insight into one another's motivations. Bayonetta is even a comfort to the confused Loki. She too spent some time not knowing who or what she really was after the witch hunts. They do share a common ground in their stories. Loki isn't alone in what he's going through, at least not with Cereza around. Loki is able to interact with mechanisms around the cathedral somehow, gaining them a ride of sorts for their venture up the bridge to Paradiso. And then totally not illumined sage, wink wink, Luca Redgrave arrives right on time to tell them both what he's learned of the story of Aesir as the god of chaos and original holder and overseer of the eyes of the world. Thank you for your tasty contribution of backstory and lore, Luca. I greatly appreciate it, young man. Luca will not be traveling with them, however, as once again the forces of Paradiso have found them and are invading the cathedral. It's going to be angels all the way up, so get comfortable watching more celestial bloodbath on our way to paradise. I'm sure this will be a cozy ascent or rather descent? Gravity and up and down tend to lose meaning around Bayonetta, doesn't it? It's more of a recommendation than a law of any sort, apparently. But the first sphere, Cherubim Valor, does actually present as a halting obstacle to the two. It would seem that Paradiso is finally sending Laguna that can actually present as a challenge to the Umbra Witch. Valor is torn apart, of course. But with its dying gasp, it sends Bayonetta and Loki to a faraway place, deep, deep within Fimbleventer, where ancient ruins rest surrounded by crushing caverns of water. Loki has been here before some time ago. There are echoes of something that took place, visions of a childlike Lopter haunting him. Lopter did something here long ago, and Loki is starting to remember. He's beginning to recall just who and what he is. Fortunately, the Cherubim Valor has put them on a route that will act as a shortcut to the gates of hell, and Loki is remembering the way. They'd best hurry along because not even Rodan can keep Jon's body alive much longer. Time is running out. Within the depths of the mountain, infernal beings attack. This is certainly not the first time that this has happened, nor is it even the second time. The upset of balance between the light and the dark is becoming more and more apparent with each demonic fight. The loss of the right eye of the world has yet unknown consequences. The Umber Witches and Minions of Inferno have long stood in contractual cooperation, yet they still attack the left eye of darkness. Within the great demon Insidious, Loki is once again separated from his protector. Now it's solely beings of Inferno that she must bulldoze, the angels do not tread here. But that's not to say that Illumined Sage wouldn't. Loki is deep in the guts of the demon Insidious, once again unable to act in his own defense, and he is the goal of both Bayonetta and Baldur. Their last spat ended in a tie, what better place for a rematch than within the belly of a demon? Neither of them are able to overtake the other. But what they are able to accomplish is destroying the innards of the Insidious and breaking down the vessel holding Loki. Two hints are given to Bayonetta as to who this Lumen Sage is, however. He still wears around his neck a tube of Rosa's lipstick, something that Bayonetta does recognize. And the second clue comes after Loki manages to beam Baldur's mask with one of his gambit cards, revealing beneath a shining blue eye. The right eye of the world. Once again, a stalemate is the conclusion when the demon Insidious explodes from the inside out, dropping off Bayonetta and Loki just where they need to be. 
right above the gates of hell. Not precisely what you would expect, is it? Hardly looks like a gate, but this is how the two will reach Inferno by forcing their way in. Loki's motivations have always been to reach the mountain, meaning the top, not underneath it. This time, however, he makes the choice to stay with Bayonetta at the gates, to aid her in any way that he can in gaining access to Inferno. Loki opens up pathways and Bayonetta handles the heavy lifting. Energies held within Paradiso will empower portals to reach and open the gates of hell. Without Loki to open these doorways to Paradiso, Bayonetta would stand no chance at all in reaching Jean in time. Even together, it requires a significant number of trips into Paradiso and a considerable series of battles against both angels and demons before the gates are finally breached. It would seem, though, that they took too long to make it through before they were once again tracked down, this time by Balder and a projection of Lopter. Balder is after the boy and Lopter is after Cereza. He knows that she is the left eye. He thinks it's rightfully his, and he intends to retrieve it. Even as a projection of himself, this being is outrageously powerful. And as much as Bayonetta can handle at any given time, Loki is on his own for now with Baldur. But these are not confrontations that will end in stalemates. Loki cannot defend himself indefinitely against Baldur. And even after delivering him an extensive thrashing, Bayonetta can't really stop this projection. Lopter wants the left eye, and he intends to rip it from her. This is prevented, though, by Loki opening the gates of hell, pulling all but a retreating Lopter within. Not even the evil aspect of Acer could have seen that one coming, but he has all the time in the world to await their return from Inferno. Within is a more classic depiction of Hellscape. This is where the witches will spend all eternity after their death. And John's time is nearly out. She's soon to become a permanent resident of Inferno. She's someplace within the depths, and the residents of this plane will know that Bayonetta is here. They will hunt her and attack on sight. The Eternal One himself makes an appearance to join and assist Bayonetta in reaching Jean on time. Seems he might have a soft side, or perhaps he wants something. Jean's spirit is being held and fed upon by a demon called Alrun. And Rodan has decided that Alvrin is going to be his next payday. Perhaps thus his convenient arrival and assistance, but what does that matter? She's made it here and with some time remaining, and all that's in the way now is Alvrun, who by the way seems to have a bit of a history with Madame Butterfly, the infernal demon that Bayonetta is contracted to. She hates Madame Butterfly, and just her presence sends Alvrun into a tizzy. But with mere moments to spare, Bayonetta does down the demon. Jean is free, the heart of an Umber Witch is restored to her, and her spirit is left to depart, to return back to her body at the absolute insistence of Cereza. This pressing matter is now concluded. Rodan may see to consuming the demon Alrun, and Bayonetta may see to other threats, namely Baldur. He's found Loki, and a round three is underway. On the back of an infernal war beast, she intervenes, but just as before. The two come to blows, with neither truly being able to gain the upper hand over the other, as though they were meant to act as perfect balances to one another. Neither of the eyes of the world claim victory in the rampage they create across Inferno. The remembrance of time within Loki has begun to fully reawaken, leading to a torrent of overflowing power that sends both Bayonetta and Baldur back to a most auspicious yet tragic time. 500 years in the past, the city of Vigrid, at the apex of the witch hunts. Rosa is here, the forebearer of Cereza, her mother, 
and for a time, the mother and daughter duo will walk and fight together. Perhaps the two recognize one another, but it doesn't really matter with the forces of parody so attacking. There's no time for gentle sentiment or reflection. They make for that fateful clock tower. The truly ruthless war that took place here makes for constant obstacles. The two witches work together beautifully and manage to make it through each brawl, but the intensity of these events makes it so much more apparent just how the Umber witches were wiped out. Paradiso threw armies of angels at them on top of the human forces that invaded their valley. It's a nigh-unsurvivable situation. Even Rosa and Cereza have to resort to high-power mechanical weaponry to make it through the frenzied fields, and it's nigh-obscene how much firepower and grit that takes. But there was somebody else here, right? A particular kid that goes on to do something rather heinous. Oh, that's right. Lopter, clad in blue. He looks just like Loki otherwise and tries to pass himself off as that to Bayonetta, but she doesn't buy it. So he drops the act and comfortably goes about explaining just what he wants and what he intends. As though he doesn't really care if Bayonetta knows. As if it's a sick taunt towards her. He wants the left eye she possesses, and with no hesitation, raises arms against her. And it would seem that his confidence wasn't misplaced, because Lopter is the victor. He's not done with the left eye just yet, though. Now was the time for him to see to a certain Lumen Sage at a particular clock tower. A murder must take place. This time with Bayonetta present, Lopter knows just what they are going to do. This is all going according to plan. Back in the present, Loki and Luca have once again run into each other. After the whole remembrance of time waking up ordeal, it would seem that this is where he landed. Fortunately, the definitely not illumined sage, Luca Redgrave, has learned how to reach the summit of the mountain. How convenient, Luca. Returning to the clock tower of the past, though, Baldur once again holds the dying Rosa in his arms, forced to watch her die again. In this important place of power to the witches, Bayonetta is able to open a path back to their proper timeline, 500 years back into the future. The right and left eye must be together at the top of Fimbleventer for Lopter's plan to work. What a perfectly convoluted way to make that happen. Once again, Rosa begs of Baldur to take care of Cereza, their dear sweet child, who will awaken to the eyes of the world. He's now able to understand what really took place here and make a sound choice as to how he will proceed. And the Balder of the past chooses to stand beside who he now understands is Cereza, though he doesn't speak it aloud. Hand in hand, the two leave the clock tower behind and return to where Lopter awaits in the present. Apparently feeling just fine and ready to beat some cheeks, Jean meets Bayonetta and Balder as they return to the foot of Thimbleventer. What better way to reach the summit than with a jet? And also making their approach are Luca and Loki, just as Lobder desired. Soon, the two eyes and the Sovereign One will be in one place for him to usurp power from. Lobder takes a stroll to greet Loki and Luca, while Bayonetta and Balder take their time reaching the mountaintop. Angels and demons are both standing in their way, but Jean will act as interference between the armies forming and what is taking place on the mountain. Bayonetta and Balder reach the summit at the perfectly ordained time. Lopter offers the killing of Loki to Balder, still playing his game of sorrow against the sage. 
but it seems that Balder's rejection of this false narrative was not anticipated by Lochner, not that it really matters. It would have been a convenience, perhaps an amusement, to see Balder do it, but Lochner is perfectly capable of taking Loki's sovereign power. And once he has that, he can take the eyes of the world. Balder will be the first one to lose their eye. He puts up little fight once the process begins. And with Balder's eye taken, next is the witch. She is able to put up a more immediate fight against Lopter in direct combat, holding her own defense and landing hit after hit, but it's not like anything she does is of real consequence to Lopter. Even a demon summoning is shrugged off as nothing more than a mere irritation. And once he's had enough of the waiting, Lopter does take control of the arena, and he pulls the left eye of darkness out of Bayonetta. He now holds everything he needs to take over the empty throne as the god of chaos, the half-self-rebirth of Acer. Only the evil and cruel side of Acer will exist. This is not what the god once was. But within himself, Lopter holds almost all of what made Acer powerful. Though... As the eyes of the world, you see, neither Baldur nor Bayonetta truly used the eyes to empower themselves. The strength that they wield, it's all their own. Eyes or not, they're still unspeakably powerful for humans. And eyes or not, they will fight this new Aesir and defy this supposed god of chaos. A shifting and beautiful reality falls over the top of Fimbleventer, a new arena to contain a fight with a celestial being. Different times and places flow about the streaming remembrance they seem to be within. Balder is knocked out of the arena at the halfway point, leaving Bayonetta to contend with Aesir. But Sass and Grit are not going to win this, it's simply impossible. The eyes of the world held within a now god that has spent countless centuries preparing for it. No, no, of course not. They cannot win this. But what Bayonetta has done is buy time for Loki. Whether she knew it or not, it was precisely what needed to be done. The old god Aesir's greatest power was nothingness. The ability to destroy anything in existence, even the eyes of the world, the very things that made this reality what it is, the very source of their powers. With Loki's command, the eyes of the world are unmade. Lochter's power is stripped and the father-daughter duo send his physical form on its merry way towards Jean, who's been through quite a lot as well thanks to him, who deserves a tasty snack. But the spirit of Lopter, it's not so simple. With his body gone, the spirit of Lopter will flee back to where spirits reside, so that he might eventually be born again to try this once more in another era. There are events to be played out in a timeline which must be restored. Balder takes the spirit of Lopter into himself to act as a jailer to the feeble once god. The spirit of pure evil will eventually take hold of Balder. This cannot be stopped. He must go back to his proper time, 500 years in the past, and carry out his life and actions accordingly. A finale that will properly take place a number of months ago when Jubileus was vanquished and a more aged Balder died with it. The destruction of the eyes, it was a gamble that the world wouldn't tear itself apart. But it seems that their unmaking hasn't yet caused an apocalypse. Things seem quite calm, but the future consequences are yet unknown. 
How will the balances tip or sway between Paradiso, Inferno, and our chaos? This tampering with the flow of time, it can surely butterfly as well. But, well, perhaps it will just take some time for those ramifications to come due. Loki himself is going to take a break from all this. Leave humanity behind for some time. Let them go find their own way. Go on vacation. He tells Bayonetta that maybe when he's older, he'll appear again someplace. But for now, it's time for him to go. And for our Umbra witches and their associates, life widely goes back to normal. The world carries on. Humanity is the same as always. Post-holiday sales are the topic of the day. But lest things get uninteresting, or heaven forbid, boring, there's always the promising threat of something else on the horizon. Always reassurance that the Umber Witches will never truly know a time of peace. Let's dance, boys! 